All right, guys, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 once again, and we're going to be finishing this chapter this morning, Lord willing. But first, I want to recall to mind last week we talked about God being the God of all comfort in the blessing that we have as his children, as believers in Christ, to have that comfort, that grace, that peace from God that we may be able to minister and comfort Others. And I don't know about you guys, but I had opportunities this last week to do that. And I felt so encouraged and ready to speak words of truth, of comfort to others. Because one thing we do when we gather together and we get in God's word, it's going to stir our hearts. It's going to prepare us and equip us for what God has. And even this morning, guys, I think, again, there's something about God's word. It speaks into our lives in powerful ways. And I'm so excited for the study set before us. But before we get into this last part, I want to recall with you, if you look up here on the screen with me, this is Romans 15.4. And I shared this last week, but I want to share it again because it tells us for whatever things were written. So what we have here in God's word, they are purposeful. God reveals what he's revealed for a purpose and for a reason. And we're told here that before all these things are written for our learning, that through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. We have hope. And God's promises are sure. And whether we believe God's word or not, one thing God's promised about his word, it won't return void. And that's one thing that we can do as believers is speak the truth of scripture. I think it's important to speak to ourselves the word, continually be speaking those promises God's given us. Do you guys know there's over 3,000 promises in the Bible? Thousands. A lot of them were for Israel, but there are a lot to us as Christians. Do we embrace those promises? Do we speak those promises over us? Do we even know them? If not, search the scriptures. Why? Because they're there to teach us. Because part of our faith life, guys, is believing God's word and his promises. So important. But even taking a step further, it's sharing those blessings, those promises, the love of God, what Jesus did on the cross, the forgiveness of sins. Do you guys know that we can speak those scriptural truths to others? Because they also need hope. We're not the only ones. We have hope because we have Jesus. And we want to let that hope be known to the world. So enough preaching. I have other preaching to do out of 2 Corinthians. We're going to talk about criticism this morning. How many of you guys deal with criticism? All right, two hands if you deal with a lot. All right. <laughs> we sure do. Um, I want to share a prayer with you by St. Augustine. He said this, Lord, deliver me from the lust of vindicating myself. Is this a pretty good prayer? I love short prayers. Let's get to the point, right? And I think that's a prayer I think would be good for you and I to pray. Because we often get self-centered. We want to be right. And we lust after being right. And the thing is, God is right. You guys understand that? And I think it's good for us to acknowledge that. What does God have to say? Because the world says things that aren't always true. You guys have heard the old adage, we've been saying since we were kids, right? And it's actually not true. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You guys know that this is fake news? Okay, words do hurt. Okay, I've broken some bones. Guess what? I healed from that. But there are things that I carry from my childhood that were spoken to me that are still hurtful to this day. 
They are there. I wish I could just let them go. It's like, I, why can't I remember the good things in life? You guys know that when somebody speaks a negative thing to you, how many good things need to be spoken to make up for that one little thing that was spoken? We cling to that criticism. And we're going to be talking about that this morning. But the worst part of this is that internal bleeding. Because the reality or not, like when things are spoken to us that aren't true, that are hurtful, hurtful criticism, it hurts our hearts, doesn't it? And we carry that. And people don't always see that because it's internal. That's why we got to be so careful with our words. And that's why God speaks so much to how we ought to speak. And as I grow in Christ, one thing I want to do is learn the tone of Christ. As I read the scriptures and especially the gospels, like how did God speak? How did he speak to other people? And when we do speak, do we speak it in that same tone? Because we're told not to slander, but as Christians, we're good to, you know, we slander just as much as the world. We want to point the finger and we want to criticize also. God's called us to something higher, something other, okay? And I believe we can do that when we're trying to speak with Christ's tone, his love. Can we still speak truths? Yeah, but we do it in love. And guys know that there is criticism that's sometimes healthy. There's blind spots I know I have, and I have a lot of them. And when someone comes and tells me, hey, you don't get it, <laughs> you're blowing it, you're not seeing clearly, you're a mess, you did this, blah, 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 in my face, am I going to receive that? I'm going to be like, you're a turd. <laughs> Who cares what you think? But I actually do care because those words still carry weight, even if they're being mean about it. But if somebody comes to me with healthy criticism, hey, bro, I love you, you might not see this, you know? And I don't know if this is really what's happening, but here's the truth. This is what God says. This might help. Do you think I might be open to receive that? You betcha. I actually invite that. I want that. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of those things, but specifically we're going to talk about criticism this morning. And there is internal bleeding. You know, Ask any employee who gets berated by a boss daily in front of other co-workers. Ask a husband or a wife who deals with this daily. Ask a child who gets this dished on his or her plate at every meal. This is a part of our culture in our life. There's criticism everywhere we look. Turn on the television for a minute. Go on Facebook for a second. It's everywhere. Just overhearing others. I don't like to eavesdrop, but I do it all the time. I can't help it. I'm like, are you, are you really saying that right now? You really talk to your spouse that way? You talk to your child that way? What are you doing? But that's our culture. Everybody's doing it. And we've all experienced attacks against our actions, what we haven't done, also our words, what we haven't said, or even our motives, what we didn't mean. We all get attacked. And this is what Paul now faces with the Corinthian church. Okay, That's why I'm kind of laying this down, because the great apostle Paul was being criticized personally. You see, the Corinthians misjudged Paul in his actions, his words, and his motives. So how do we deal with false accusations, pastor? Guess what? I'm glad you guys asked because we're going to dive into that because we see that here as we conclude chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. Do you guys know that some plant a flag, the flag of passivity, they say nothing? Well, others will plant a flag of aggression, 
They want to lash out. And you guys see that tendency? It's normally one or the other. Well, passivity leaves a lie unanswered, and aggression, guys, will only complicate things. So I want to ask you, which one do you tend to lean to? Well, Paul says, and we're going to see this clearly, that we need to use wisdom and truth. As Christians, again, there's something other. There's something higher, different. So let's take a look at verses 12 to 14. What you see is what you get. So verse 12 says, For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. For we are not writing any other things to you than which you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. I so love this because I hope you guys see in verse 12 here, because we have Paul, he's being misjudged. That's what's going on. That's the context of this. And he's being misjudged by his actions, okay? Paul, you're insincere. That's what the Corinthians were saying to the apostle who went there, shared the gospel, planted the church, raised up leaders, okay? Now he had written a letter, 1 Corinthians, in a way of a rebuke. Hey, you guys, <laughs> there's some things going on within the church there that are not good. They're not honoring God. This is what God would have for you. You need to repent. You need to get right. You need to be doing it his way. Well, they got undone about that. But if you guys look at verse 12 with me, it brings up... Three witnesses to the stand here. Simplicity, godly sincerity, and the grace of God. Simplicity, that would be a frankness, right? It's just very simple, straightforward. Godly sincerity, there's a purity that comes around that. It actually means to be judged by the Son. And they understood what that meant. It was to be determined by the Son light. It is something that can bear the test of being held up to the light of the sun and looked at with the sun shining through it. So if I held up to you a light, <laughs> how would you fare? What's really going on? You see, guys, when Jesus, being the unapproachable light, right? We're told that in Scripture. Eyes fix, uh, fix on you how you will... Um, and how your actions will actually stand. And that's something that we need to do. Because we all go through circumstances. We all have to deal with that criticism. There's things that we say. And all of that needs to bring, be brought into the light. Okay, What is actually there? And I also love that it speaks of the grace of God here. It's not a mere human wisdom. Okay, And there is good human wisdom that might have truths in it. But this is so much greater, and that's what God is. Do you guys know that God's a good counselor, a wonderful counselor? Okay, His word, there's wisdom there to be found, and he can bring light into situations. It's just like, all right, why weren't we able to figure this out before? 
We were trying our own ways, doing it our own ways. We were told to do it that way. Why hadn't we seen this before? And that's why it's so good that we go to the Lord. So we can add a new beatitude here, guys. Blessed is the man who has nothing to hide. How many of you guys would agree with that? Isn't it nice just to be in the light as he is in the light? To walk in truth? What do we have to hide? I hate having to hide things. You feel good when you have to? No. Isn't it just freeing just to be able to be you? To be real? To bring it to the light? Well, what will they think? Do you guys know as the body of Christ, it's a beautiful thing. I want you to know that we are family. We can be real with one another, vulnerable with one another, bring things to the light. Do you guys know that confession is even a good thing within the body? Why? Because God brings healing when we confess to one another. But it's like the last thing Christians want to do. Let's be real. Let's be open. Bring things to the light. Now I want you guys to look at verse 14. In the day of our Lord, I love what George Whitfield said. He was a powerful evangelist, led many people to the Lord. He said this, When I die, the only epitaph that I desire to be engraved upon my stone st- st- or tombstone is this. And catch what he said. Here lies George Whitfield. What sort of man he was, the great day will discover. Wow. I know. That day. You might think you're great, and maybe you're not. And in that day, that's going to be revealed. Well, I'm nothing. Well, guess what? Maybe in that day, it's going to be revealed, and you're something great. All things are going to be brought into the light. Do you guys understand? We're all going to stand before our Creator. And all the junk of this life, the hay, the wood, the hay, the stubble, all that junk is going to be burned away. And what's really there is going to come forth. I got all of this stuff. Who cares? What worth is found in all that stuff? Is there any worth in that stuff? Or is it all going to be burned up? Because it's easy for us to live for the stuff of this life, isn't it? Okay, But God wants us to live for the... Store up treasures where, guys? In heaven. But don't you know I need this and that? It's all about that? No. Eternal perspective. So let's move on. Now... What you heard is not what I said. Let's take a read here in verse 15 and on. And this is the confidence I intended to come to you before, that you might have a second benefit. To pass by the way uh, to you, to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning to do this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him, Jesus, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Wow. 
So here they were misjudging Paul for his words. Okay? And do we have a tendency to do this? But, but you said that! I remember you said that! Right? We're so good at that. Well, Paul, you're not keeping your promises. That's what the Corinthian church was undone about. That's what they were saying to this apostle. And if you look at verse 15 and 16, guys, Paul's writing this letter from Macedonia. And this was somewhere between 55 and 57 AD. It's in that window there. Okay. Now, I want to read to you what he said back in his first letter to the Corinthians. This is in chapter 16. Verse 5, it says, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend a winter with you, that you may send me on my journey, whether or wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay with you if the Lord permits. Okay, so this is what they're undone about. Do you guys kind of get the context of why they're undone? Paul, you promised you were coming. You said you were going to come. Okay, but guys, what did Paul actually say? Okay, they mistook his intentions for a firm promise. We got to be careful that we don't do that. Okay, their conclusions, if we can't trust this man to keep a promise, how can we trust him as an apostle? That's their argument. But did you guys see here in these few verses? Okay, words can both reveal, or sorry, they both can conveal or conceal, or, or sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> he said, maybe here, I hope to, and if the Lord wills. Okay, so was this a firm promise? No, he's like, this is my intention. I would love to come see you guys in Corinth. Okay, the letter was received. <laughs> you guys didn't like what I had to say, but God has spoken. He's made very clear. And I hope to come and minister to you in person again if the Lord permits. And you guys know that's a good thing for you and I because we don't always know what the future holds, do we? Okay? If the Lord wills, that sounds awesome. If that's in God's plan, okay? It's not a firm promise. Do you guys see where the Corinthians were getting a little bent at Paul here and why? Now that brings us back to uh, verse 17 and 20 here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Words can both reveal and conceal our thoughts, okay? Sometimes, we say things because it's the right thing to say or to be agreeable with somebody or to just avoid trouble altogether. Samuel Goodwin said this, a verbal agreement isn't worth the paper that it's written on. How many of you guys would agree with that? I would. You see, no promise, whether it's verbal or written, is of any value except in relation to the integrity to the one who made the promise, guys. Are they going to be faithful? Are they going to follow through? So some recall a time when a man's word was his bond. Okay, if we make promises, we ought to keep them. Okay, God does, doesn't he? And aren't we to be imitators of Christ? God is faithful to his promises. If we make a promise, do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Hold to that. Okay? If you don't know, if the Lord wills, right? So I love verse 20. Let's take a look here. I want to consider with you the yes and the amen of verse 20 for a moment. We often think that both this yes and amen are God's, but they are not. Okay, 
follow me with this. Okay? The yes is in him, and the amen comes from who? From us. I've heard this mistaught before. You see, the NIV puts it this way. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So we note here that in him is in Jesus is the yes to every promise. Do you guys understand that? He is spoken. He fulfilled his promises. He keeps his promises. We know that. He is the personal guarantee of God to every promise. So literally, in him, yes, was and continues to be a reality. So the perfect tense of this is actually emphasizes a continual action. Isn't that kind of cool to think about with this verse? Okay, God is continually keeping his promises. Isn't that pretty cool? Does he love you? Yes. He's going to keep on loving you. You guys get the point? His promises are yes. You guys sometimes see a, a, a political candidate, you know, um, He'll, he'll speak to, hey, you know, my office, we're going to stand on my record. You guys ever hear a politician say, I stand on my record, okay? You know, and sometimes the records aren't the best. But <laughs> who has the perfect record? God. Can he stand on his record? Absolutely, right? So our faith stands on the record of what God has done in the record of his promises kept. You guys can jot down John chapter 20, verse 31. It says, these are written that you may believe. And again, there's a blessing about what God has given to us in his word. Okay, And that there, John wrote that, and he's referring to the gospel, all the things that Jesus did, all that he said. Okay, We have these things, and they're written down for us. Why? That you can believe. God doesn't waste words. His promises are sure. And if he takes the time to reveal those promises to us, he wants us to see them, to grab a hold of them, to believe them, to live them. You guys understand that faith is not inherited. I want to speak to any of you who have a mom and dad in the faith. Just because mom and dad might have faith in Christ doesn't mean that your faith is legit, let's say. It's got to be your own. You can't ride on mom and dad's faith or grandpa and grandma's faith or your spouse's faith. It has to be your own. It can't be inherited, okay? Um, nor does it come by accident, guys. Faith comes by what? By hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. You can write that one down. And discovering that God keeps his promises. Isn't that the coolest thing as a new believer? Like you begin to read the truths of the gospel, of who Jesus is, what God has done. You're like, whoa, this is true. <laughs> this is resonating. I believe there's a faith that is activated in it. And the more we read, the more we see God is faithful. Look what he did with Israel over and over and over again. He prophesied this and that to those people and those people and his own people. And he was faithful. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. We can trust his word because he's always been faithful. 
So faith is standing on his promises, guys. It is standing upon his promises. This morning, have we spoke a few promises together here? Yeah, that's one reason that's good for us not to forsake the assembling together. That's why it's good that we're simply in the word of God. Sometimes from a pulpit, you might hear a lot of, you know, happy life series. If you do this and you do that, well, those are the promises of the world, the promises of man, of self. If you can just yourself overcome in this area, if you can stick with this, then you'll have that. But I think a lot of you guys have lived enough life and know better. It doesn't really work out, does it? But it's cool if we take God's word serious. And that's why we just go through the scriptures here at Freedom. This is what God says. And we can trust him. Here's his promises. And if we weren't at church this morning, would we have, have time today? Would you have taken that time to be in the word, to seek the Lord, to consider his promises? Okay, his ways are good. And there are promises that he's given to us as the body of Christ when we gather together. There are things that he wants to do that is only unique to this. And I want to encourage you guys, make it a priority. Be in fellowship. Receive these promises. Let your faith grow and share. Encourage one another, your brothers and sisters, in the promises of God. So D.L. Moody said that. God never made a promise that was too good to be true. You guys ever hear that one before? Think about that. That is so good. So let's consider now, we looked at the yes, the God, God, God's the yes part of verse 20, and then our part is the amen. What does amen mean? Does anybody know? So be it, or so let it be. True, trustworthy. And that's why some people say amen. And you guys know that you have the freedom and the liberty to hear to say amen? If there's like a mic drop, a promise, truth, amen, that's resonating with me. You guys can say amen. I'm okay with that, okay? Um, so here we see the amen. It's used to really strengthen and confirm our statement, okay? And when we see others engage, aren't you guys encouraged when somebody will actually testify openly like, amen, I hear you, brother. <laughs> that's true, God's word, this is good. It can change a whole group of people. It can encourage us. Like, what am I missing? Okay, I'm going to share a story with you about black man Zach. His name's Zacchaeus. He was a young man who was going to East High School. I was doing youth ministry. He showed up, and he had a hunger for the Lord. And it was so cool, because I'm a bro. I want to spend time with you. You opened a discipleship. Absolutely. We sat down once a week. We went through Chuck Missler's through the entire Bible series in 24 hours. We did all that together. We were doing Bible studies weekly. He started up a Bible study uh, in his school. Good things were happening. But the coolest thing was Zach. I loved spending time with him one-on-one -on -one and going out and doing things with him. But it was actually in our youth group, church, when we were having services. And we had two a week. When Zach started coming around, we had a youth group. It was growing. We had, at that time, probably about 60 kids showing up. So cool. And what was happening is we were just going through the scriptures. These kids, from 12 to 18, I haven't changed teaching a whole lot in 20 years, guys. I've been doing this for 22 years now. 
verse by verse. We would have Bible studies just like we're having this morning, just walking through the scriptures with these kids. They were bringing their Bibles, 12-year-olds, Bibles open, okay? Verse by verse, they're growing, they're learning, we're seeing kids get saved. But something happened when Zach showed up. Because Zach, he was on the edge of his seat. He was so hungry for the word, he was receiving. And he would say, amen! And you know what all the other kids in the youth group would do? What's Zach up to? Why, why is, did I miss something? Why, why is he so excited about what Pastor just said? Maybe I should be more excited. You know what ended up happening in our youth group? Zach was engaged. There would be several amens in the teaching. You know, some of the other kids and even some of the other leaders started to engage. Amen. And it changed the dynamic of our entire youth group. Because his kids were coming in and kids were bringing their friends, unsaved kids, some kids that were never church. And if they were coming into a setting of believers where they were opening God's word and you have these unbelievers like, what's going on? These young kids who are my same age are digging what God has to say in his word? Yeah. They wanted to know more. They began to look. They were bringing their highlighters. They're digging what's going on in the Word of God. So you guys have the freedom to do that here at Freedom Fellowship. We can engage in the Scriptures. And when you guys have your home Bible studies, amens are good. Sharing Scripture in the home and then say amen. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. That testifies. So um, the amen, okay, it wasn't just a formality or a ritual. It really expresses confidence. And how many of you guys have firm confidence? Like you believe every word of the scriptures. I hope so. And if you're not convinced, I hope you hang around with us long enough to know as we just study through his word. You know what? It is trustworthy. All of it. And God has kept all his promises. And guess what? The prophecy is still of things yet to come. Yeah, He's done it before. He kept all those. I actually believe he's going to keep the ones that... You guys know the Bible talks about a lot of what's going on today in the world. Okay? And Jesus is going to come back. Anyways, we're not going to talk about that because we'll get to those scriptures soon. Um, If you have the Holy Spirit, if you truly have him living in you, do you guys know that when you are born again in the Spirit, he comes and makes his home with you? Okay? He lives in you. If you truly have the Spirit residing in you, then you should really know from the depths of your soul without any hesitation that you believe all the promises of God are yes and amen. There's just something that's just like, you know what? I, I trust it. I trust it. And some of you guys know exactly, amen. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Before you were a believer, you would read the scriptures and you were skeptical. I don't know about that. This doesn't make sense. What are they saying? I know there's so much more here, and I don't get it. But when you come to faith in Christ, it's just like, whoa. It's not gray and foggy anymore. It's very black and white. Like, God really did speak these things. He really is alive. Jesus really is the only Savior of this world. And his promises are yes in him. And amen to that, because I can see now. I know they're true. We have that confidence. So can you say true, trustworthy, and amen to his word? I hope you can. And if you can't yet, I hope you're being provoked this morning by God, because you can trust his word. He is faithful. So are you assured of his love? Because that is one thing that we see promised throughout the scriptures. 
He's a God of love, of grace. Okay? He does love us. He demonstrated that love for us while we were yet sinners. He hung upon the cross, guys. It wasn't just lip service. Oh, I love you. No, I'm going to come and I'm going to show you the depths of my love. And there is no greater love than someone who would be willing to lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what our God did. He became a man and he laid down his life because of our sin problem. We can't take care of it. Even in our best efforts, we couldn't do it. But he did it. Can you say amen to his forgiveness? He demonstrated that love, but do you believe the blood he shed? The blood of the new covenant really can remove our sins? I believe it. Do you guys know what happened when Jesus hung upon the cross there in the temple? Because the Jewish temple, that's where the glory of the kabod of God dwelt. And only one guy was allowed to go in there once a year, and often he would die if he went into the presence of the Lord, because God is holy, holy, holy. And there was this massive curtain, actually five curtains thick. No one could go in there except that one high priest once a year. Do you guys know what happened to that massive curtain in the temple when Jesus cried out, it is finished upon the cross, and he gave up his spirit? It was rent, torn in half. And where did it start? At the top, it was like God was saying, the blood's been shed. The new covenant's been established. Enter in. Anyone can come into the holy of holies now because my son paid the debt of sin. You can be forgiven. Do you guys understand that? We can be forgiven. Our sin separates us from Christ, but the second you put faith in God, we are told that our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. We now come into relationship with God. There's no sin separating us any longer because Christ took care of that. That's the beauty. So can you say amen to the gospel? Do you believe that you truly can be forgiven? Can you say amen to all his promises for your life? Can you say amen? But my life is hard sometimes. Amen! God says he even uses the hard things in life, right? If you don't believe me, you need to listen to last week's study because we talked about that at length. There's promises there. So amen is the voice of absolute, personal, unshakable, unreserved faith. Amen? Amen. amen. All right, let's take a look now at verse 22. Oh, there it is, 22. I want you guys to catch this. It tells us that God establishes us, anoints us, and seals us, and he's given us a guarantee. Do those sound like promises? Yeah! And I also want you guys to note the Trinity, okay? This is so cool. We see the Trinity at work here in us, right? Establishes, establishes us in who? Jesus, okay? So that's one. Anoints us. Who did the anointing? God. And then we're told here, he has given us a guarantee. And who's given us that guarantee? The Holy Spirit. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, guys. Okay? Born again of the Spirit. It's the spirit that dwells in us that cries out what? Abba, Daddy. Okay? And isn't that a cool thing? I know some of you guys, when you come to faith in God, it's not like, you guys know a lot of atheists even pray? <laughs> I've, I've talked with atheists who cried out to God in hard times, you know? Especially say, hey, a plane full of people are about to crash. Do you think some atheists on that plane might pray for the first time? Yeah. But there's a lot of people who 
are not in Christ, but they pray regularly. Do you, have you guys ever met somebody that's not a believer, but they pray all the time? I've met a bunch of these people. And they'll pray to God or to the universe or whatever, right? But isn't it cool when you come to faith in God? It's not just like, oh, God. Our spirit cries out, Abba, Daddy, Father. That's why Jesus said, hey, when you pray, pray, our Father. Father, that's relationship, it's intimacy, and that's what the Spirit works in us. We have that type of relationship. So I want to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit, the work, the seal, okay? It impresses its likeness upon everything that it touches. All these are all marks of divine ownership. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are mine, is what God is saying, okay? Nothing's going to separate us from the love of Christ. If you're in Christ, you are his. No one's going to pluck you out of his hand, we're told. It's pretty cool. So think about that, that divine ownership. You are marked by the Holy Spirit. And all of these take place at salvation. When God raises the flag of heaven on the territory of your soul and seals it with his spirit, that is what's happening. I am a Christian. I'm going to fly my flag. The world can see. And God's going to fly that flag. He's planted it. And the world's going to see because you are the light of the world whether you like it or not. You are the fragrance of Christ whether you like it or not. Okay? I had a short season when I first got on fire with Jesus. I was loving it. I was worshiping him for hours daily. Loving it. Okay? I was just about to graduate from high school. Okay? And I graduated. I never drank anything in my entire life. Well, graduation party started, and I started drinking a little bit. And that little bit of drinking turned into I drank until I passed out. Okay, alcoholism's in my family genes. It was very scary. So here I am. I'm getting drunk almost daily for a short season of my life right then. But I was loving Jesus at the same time. Okay, and you guys know how Satan works, right? He's a turkey. He'll tempt us to sin, and then we give in to the sin. And then what does he do? He comes in, oh, you call yourself a Christian? You suck. Are you really? Do you really believe? You wouldn't be doing the, You guys know the lies. Don't even listen to them. I'm done playing Satan here because he's a turkey. All right. So <laughs> in that, but it's one of those things as a believer, even if we're messing up, do you guys know that God is still going to work through us? We are the fragrance of Christ whether we like it or not. And there was one night, and I would never recommend this, I was drunk and I was camping with a bunch of friends. There was about 40 of my high school friends, we were out camping, and I'm drunk, and you guys know what I was doing around the campfire. I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ drunk. What a sad witness. That's just sad. People still got saved. Now, I'm not recommending that, because my heart breaks in it, because how many there may have been weighing out the truths of who Jesus is and what he does in the life of believers. Is it really true? Does God really change people and they may have been seeking and they're looking at me talking about jesus drunk oh that's christianity i want to encourage you guys despite us god is going to use us but how much more beautiful our testimony is when we're walking in the light as he is in the light how many more lives can be touched because i think when we are, the fragrance, it's there, but it might be there a little more sweeter. Would you guys agree? The light might be a little more brighter. 
I do believe that. And that's what God's calling us to. He wants to establish us. He has anointed us, and he has sealed us. We are his. Some of you guys can remember uh, 1969, okay? I'm not talking Woodstock. You guys remember Apollo 11, okay? First lunar landing there. They reported Houston, tranquility base here. The eagle has landed. For the first time, a flag was flown on the moon. And you know what? Us Americans, the United States, was really proud, weren't they? We were the first ones. Yay, we win. Flag. Well, when God saves your soul, he seals you with a big seal saying, hey, mine. And he raises heaven's flag and he flies it over you. It's kind of like those mountain climbers. Hey, I made it to the peak. What do they do? I don't know. Out of that backpack comes a big flag. Where was that flag the whole time? But they got a flag and they put it up there. Mountain conquered. All right. You guys get the point? We are Christ. Let's move on and wrap this up this morning. Let's take a look at the last two verses of chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. What you perceive is not what it is is so paul says here moreover i call god as a witness against my soul that to spare you i came no more to corinth not that we have dominion over your faith but our fellow workers for your joy for by faith you stand that's pretty cool so here they misjudged paul by his motives Okay, and do you guys see as we're going through this letter, are you guys seeing Paul's heart here? He, he cares. He cares enough not just to blow them off. I'm right, I'm a minister, I'm an apostle, but no, I care. I care enough, I'm going to speak to these things. I'm going to speak truth to you, what's actually going on here. So here, they're speaking to his motives. Paul, you're not a servant. You're only seeking to lord over us. That's what they were thinking. So if we're honest, seldom do we do anything absolutely with unmixed motives. Do you guys agree with me? There's always something else going on, okay? Um, Purity of action is difficulty, but purity of motive is still more difficult, If you look at verse 23, Paul calls God to the stand, and there's a great check for us. Okay, Can we call God to the stand to speak for us? I want to be able to do that. You know what? I don't have to speak. (laughs) Let God speak on my behalf. He'll speak here. Um, And then Paul says this in um, verse 23, to spare you. Spare you of what? Of what? Well, let's read the next few verses in chapter 2 real quick. We'll cover this next week in depth. But real quick, what does he say here? But I determined this within myself, that I would not come to you again in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad, but the one who made me sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I come or came, I should have sorrow over those from whom they ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. 
For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. And not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Don't you love the heart of Paul? And he's being up front here with these guys. You see his first visit to Corinth, okay, when he flew into Corinth there. Uh, But, you know, instant of fixing things, it stirred up more problems, okay? He wanted to help. He wanted to be a blessing, but it just got worse. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. Hey, I'm going to try. I'm going to step in. I'm going to serve. I'm going to love. And you do it, and it's just like, oh, that just made everything worse. (laughs) What's going on, Lord, you know? Uh, That's kind of what's gone here. And it broke his heart as right. So he wrote a letter then of rebuke with tears. That's what he's telling us. And for this reason, he didn't return because it would only have hurt them and hurt him. You guys ever feel that way? That is just one situation. And if I show up, people are just going to get hurt and I'm going to get hurt again. That's, That's where Paul was in this situation. So verse 24 then. It talks about this dominion or rule over your faith, okay? Paul, you're trying to throw your spiritual weight around. That's what the Corinthians were complaining about. You're an apostle, and you're making us do this. Paul says, no way, okay? Paul, through the duty of the teacher, is not to impose beliefs on other people, but to enable and to encourage them to think out their own beliefs, That is what Paul is doing here. No, he says, I'm a fellow worker, okay? I'm your bondservant, which we're going to see in chapter 4, verse 5. Do you guys know what a bondservant is? Okay, it's like the under rower in a ship. I'm willing to do the grunt work. It's not about me. I am here to serve you, to help you get to your destination. That was the heart of Paul. So he's... He's always rebuked to restore joy. Do you guys see what Paul is saying here? If I speak truth and love, if I rebuke you, and you guys know that a rebuke of a friend, okay, is a good thing. It's better than a kiss of an enemy, right? We're to speak truth and love. And there are times that we're going to have to rebuke people and say, you're just not right. This is wrong. Things need to change. This is for your good and the good of others. Right? And Paul's saying, hey, I'm rebuking you for your joy. And isn't it good when we're, again, not having to hide things? We're not doing those stupid things in life? We're doing what God's asking us to do? Well, love him, love others, okay. (laughs) If we're doing that, we got nothing to hide. It's just a beautiful thing. So the effective rebuke is that given with arms of love around another person. Okay, And I picture that being the Apostle Paul. We're seeing that tone, that Christ-like tone in his letter here to the Corinthians. So like Paul, let's set our sights on a target of no hidden actions, no hidden meanings, and no hidden motives. But pastor, criticism is very real. Good for the Apostle Paul. What do we do with it? Well, I'm glad you guys asked. I want you to jot down Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5. It says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. 
Answer a fool to his folly, lest you be wise in your own eyes. So this tells you and I there are different circumstances that dictate different biblical methods. Okay, So I just want to conclude our time this morning just with a, a few ways in which we deal with criticism. The first thing is, accept it. Accept it. Um, was Jesus unjustly criticized? Yeah. Are we going to be unjustly criticized? Yeah. If the world hated me, they're going to hate you. Okay? It's just part of life. We've all been criticized. We got to accept it, guys. It's just part of it. So what do we do? Well, we also need to wait on the Lord. Criticism comes. What do we do? We wait on the Lord. Don't phone your friends. Don't tell your pastor. You need to quiet your heart and focus on two things. How can I bring glory to the Lord through this? And how can I pray for the critic? Do you guys think that's the biblical thing to do in those situations? Absolutely. Lord, what are you doing here? <laughs> how can you be glorified through this ugliness? How can I walk in a way that will bring you honor through this? And how can I be praying for the critic? Also, we need to evaluate it. Okay? Consider the source. Okay? There's some people... I. I uh, <laughs> It's not always a joy being a pastor. There's just some things that are said that are just way off the wall, so untrue. But the first thing I always do is consider the source. Well, you're saying that about me. Who are you? <laughs> I know you. This is what you do. You criticize everybody. You got an issue with everything. So consider the source for one. Um, and you guys also know that all criticism isn't bad. Okay? We might not like it, but it's not always bad. There is healthy criticism. Even if it's given to us in an unliving way or by some unsympathetic person. I love what A.W. Tozer said. Listen carefully. If a critic is right, he has helped you. If he is wrong, you can help him. Either way, somebody gets helped. I love that take on it. Okay, Because we're people. Relationships get messy. Criticism's ugly. Let's make the best of it, right? We also need to confront the accuser. Don't, around, don't run around uh, to tell a lot of people, okay? Um, Charles Swindoll said this, Go directly to the person holding the knife, for until you take the knife away, the backstabbing will only continue. I like that. Who said something? Do you know what they said about me? I can't believe they did that. And I just got a text. They told that person too. <laughs> Go to the person. Confront them. Lovingly, truthfully confront them. Okay? Don't allow that to continue. And sometimes we got to confront ourselves, don't we? Okay? Um, I have critics out there. But do you know who my worst critic is? Myself. You know? I'll be honest with you guys, this morning, the first thing in my mind, I'm criticizing myself. That's how I woke up this morning. And I'm beating myself up. The lies of the enemy were coming. Who are you to teach today? And I started giggling when I was taking a shower a little bit. I was like, this is so ridiculous. I know what I'm teaching this morning. <laughs> like, God, are you allowing this stupidity? <laughs> but that's where my head often goes. I criticize myself more than anybody else. And that's where we need to speak truths. What does God say? Okay. What does he say? We need to stand in those promises. 
I got to go to Jason Gray with a few of you guys on Friday night. He was up at the Cup. Phenomenal musician, does better shows. If you've never seen him live, he does a great job. But he spoke a lot to people who are feeling defeated, depressed, dealing with anxiety, dealing with the world, criticizing what they say. And he shared a little bit of his own personal story, just how he's been working with his counselors, uh, mentor, I think is how he referred to him, and just changing the way we talk to ourselves. Because he threw out one line, he shared a few, but the one that hit me is he used to speak to himself all the time, well, I should do this, or I should have done that. I do that all the time. Oh, I blew that. I should have, or I should do this, or this is coming up, and I know this is going to happen. I should make margin and just make that happen too. All those shoulds. And that just weighs me down. That comes around that critical talk to myself. Instead of, hey, I get to, or I have, rather than all the shoulds, what is God doing? Because I have a really, you know, a tendency to look at what's not happening rather than all that God is doing. And let me tell you what, if you're a child of God, he's doing a lot. But things are really bad and falling apart. Look where you've come from. <laughs> Look what he's done. Look what he's gotten you through, you know? And he's going to keep working even in the hard stuff. So anyways, let's move on to the next one. Remain silent. Sometimes the more you try to defend yourself, the more you're going to appear guilty. So the critics come and they'll say, okay? And I, I've seen enough Facebook posts, man. There's just sometimes you don't need to defend yourself. Whatever that critic had to say, like, I'm reading it, and I, you know, I heard what they just said about you. I know you. What they're saying is unreasonable and actually really stupid. You know, I don't even know why they're opening their face. <laughs> What's the, like, I see that. I get that. But then things are often made worse. And I've done this where I went back on to defend myself. Like, what the heck? You're so, you know? And then I'm looking stupid. <laughs> Nobody wins there. So it's one of those things, guys. There's times where we should remain silent. What do we do? We go immediately to God. We pray for his vindication. Then we step away. God, this is your deal. You know, take care of it. If you want to turn real quick to uh, Psalm 26 with me. I read this earlier this week. Just a few verses. Psalm 26. We'll start. Right at verse 1. I love these few verses. By David here, he was going through it. He was being criticized. In verse 1 it says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity. Okay, That's what matters. Are you doing what God's asking you to do? Are you walking in integrity? So he goes on to say, I have trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. And then I love verse 2. He says, examine me, O Lord, improve me. Try my mind and my heart. Because sometimes, again, there might be a truth in criticism. Evaluate. What's actually going on? Show me something if I'm missing it. If I'm not seeing it, God, show me. And then verse 3, your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. So I encourage you guys, okay, allow the Lord to do that. Be silent, allow God to speak and to do. A pastor once told Weir and Wearsby, never kick a skunk. You may manufacture a worse problem that you started with. <laughs> okay, um, I like that. And then the last one for this morning, never take revenge. Okay, that's God's business. Amen? Amen. Deuteronomy 32, 
Verse 35, vengeance is mine, God is speaking, and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. And one more scripture, Psalm 40, verse 13, 14, and 15. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. You guys see where it's good to leave it to God? Okay, vengeance is his. So remember, guys, that there is no city in the world that has a statue of a critic. Just not cool. I want to share one story here. It's of a judge who had been frequently ridiculed by a conceited lawyer. When asked by his friend why he didn't rebuke his assailant, he replied, In our town lives a widow who has a dog, and whenever the moon shines, it goes outside and it barks all night. Having said that, the magistrate shifted the conversation to another subject. Finally, someone asked, But judge, what about the dog and the moon? Oh, he replied, the moon went on shining. That's all. So, Father, we do pray that you'd give us wisdom. God, that we would know your word, to know your promises, and by faith stand upon it. For you are faithful. Your promises are yes. And we say amen to all of them. We thank you that your ways are good and that they are right. God, we are so sorry that we are so critical of other people for just the way our culture um, just criticizes everyone. We know that's not your intent. And let that not be said of us. Help us to grow that we would be those that are so different, set apart from this world, that we would be able to speak to one another in love and truth. And even when it's hard things to say to each other, God, we want to do that well in ways that honor you. And we want to receive that too. God, we would pray like David prayed there in Psalm 40 that you would examine our hearts. God, know our minds. Show us, God, if we're off on something. We know that you know best. We know that we all have blind spots. So I pray that you'd help us to speak in ways that you speak in your tone, Jesus, for your glory. Amen? Amen. Why don't you guys stand to your feet? I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying 2 Corinthians so far. We'll be in chapter 2 next week, Lord willing. Um, yeah, may the Lord bless you guys and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen? Amen. 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 Love you guys.